the first thing, the bottom line is, let's get to know each other. Once we have a, an understanding of our culture and histories, we find that we have more things in common than we have differences. Welcome to Management Matters, a National Academy of Public Administration podcast where policy meets practice. I'm Terry Gurton, president of the Academy. And this month, we are focusing on the issue of social equity. In this episode, I'll discuss how the New York and New Jersey Port Authority is promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion with my guest, Michael Messiah. Michael is an Academy Fellow and the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer for the Port Authority. Michael, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, I'm very happy to join you today. Napa has a real special place in my my career, and so uh, this is a wonderful opportunity to share some of the work we've been doing at the Port Authority. Well, speaking of your career, that's where I want to start, because you've spent your entire career at the Port Authority. Nobody stays in one place anymore, so I'm really interested Tell us about the Port Authority, what they do. I mean, it's a huge organization. What's it responsible for? How's it work? Well, some of my graduate students look at me pretty in a weird way when they hear that I've been at the agency for 40 years. But let, let me tell you why it's not unusual, because Port Authority is a special place. In fact, this is our centennial year, 100 years in existence. It's an organization that has five lines of business. We run a commuter line by the name of PATH. Uh, We run tunnel bridges and terminals that basically connect the continental United States to the islands of Manhattan, uh, New York City in general, and Staten Island, uh, et cetera. So it has those major connections uh, that allow for vehicle and bus bus, uh, access. We run the region's airports. And we're up to five, uh, Kennedy, LaGuardia, Newark, Teterboro, and Stewart. We run the major marine terminals in the area, both the New York Brooklyn Piers and the uh, New Jersey and and Staten Island uh, uh, marine terminals. We uh, now, uh, again, operate the World Trade Center site. For many years, it was a construction site. And a few years ago, it's uh, become an operating facility almost complete. So those are five uh, lines of business. We have our own police force. It's quite a place. It enabled me to work in different areas over the years. I've had several careers. I was chief of uh, capital, uh, human capital, human resources back uh, after 9-11. I was asked to reduce the cost of the agency, ran a special initiative for the board and executive director to reduce the cost of the agency by $200 million. Then I was asked to reconstruct the management and budget department for the agency and ran that for, for eight years. And getting close to retirement, an opportunity came up and uh, they asked me to be the chief of capital planning and asset management uh, and, and execution. So I've had, I had several departments reporting to me, including the project management office and regional planning department and environmental and energy programs and several others, including the equity programs regarding business opportunities. So it was quite a portfolio. Um, 
had a lot of uh, engagement with the operating side of the house, obviously, uh, given the capital work that we were doing. Was involved in building a 10-year capital plan with our chief financial officer and chief engineer and others. So it kept me busy, kept me excited. And then a few years ago, I was ready to retire. A new executive director, Rick Cotton, came in and thought that was a good uh, time to leave. And I indicated that I was moving on. And a couple of days later, he called me into his office and he said, I have one more thing for you to do. And that was to create the uh, chief diversity and inclusion officer position and office. I uh, hesitated, uh, pra- practiced diversity and inclusion all my life. It was core to any uh, major management responsibilities I've ever had. Didn't think I wanted to do that, given some of the, I think, myths around these positions where they're appendages to the core versus being central to the core. And Rick assured me that if I took the job and it was his mission, rather whether I took it or not, to make sure it was a core function of the agency. Talked to my wife. She said, you're not ready to retire. Long story short, I've been there almost four years. So it's it's been an interesting uh, run in this job. Uh, I had pieces of it, as I said, uh, in the prior jobs when I was HR director, as well as um when I was overseeing the uh, capital planning uh, function, but it's a new it's a new world. Right? And this this position is core and central. Uh, Rick and the board and our, our chairman uh, Kevin O'Toole lived up to their commitment. So I'm involved in approving uh, or concurring on major cost items before Rick signs off on them. The executive director to ensure diversity and inclusion regarding our business activities. I'm uh, work very closely with the human resources chief. Uh, in fact, we worked together early in our careers. She was one of my key hires when I was a supervisor in HR years ago. We're hooked to the hip in terms of the internal workforce activities regarding uh, diversity and inclusion. In fact, she had done research on this position and felt it was important to have it separated from HR. She, like me, believes in constructive collaboration, constructive tension and collaboration in order to ensure that these kinds of programs work effectively. And so she, her vision was to have it separate from HR. And, and, and again, we adopted the best practice that she had identified. Uh, so so that's, that's my story. Like I said, the Port Authority is just incredible by way of its, its efforts. Think about this. You know, we have a $3 billion operating budget and a $2.4 billion capital budget down from our plan based because of COVID and the impacts that COVID had on our revenues. You know, and it's important to note that we're self-supporting. The only grants we receive are those due to major uh, happenings like Sandy and the 9-11. Uh, we might get a few smaller grants regarding uh, safety and that kind of thing. But basically, we're a self-supporting agency. So we have to run like a, like a business in some ways, although we are always mindful of our public purpose. And, uh, and, and, and that's core. And, and we have a strong central staff and then those those operating functions I outlined earlier, about 8,000 employees. That gives you a sense of the dynamics of the organization and why people stay. I was told that we oversee uh, infrastructure that accounts for uh, approximately 15 percent of the U.S. GDP. So when you think about our ports and airports and the like, 
fantastic place. Well, it sounds like there's never a dull day in the life of someone at the Port Authority. It's certainly not in your career, but I really want to drill into your current position. I mean, you were the first chief diversity and inclusion officer in an organization this size. You talked a little bit about the structure of the of the position and responsibilities, but I'd like to, to know more. For the first position in an organization of this size, where did you start? How did you... You had a name for the job. How did you start to define it? Like I mentioned earlier, the HR director had done a lot of research on these positions. And that was helpful because she identified best practices and what that function typically performs. That, that was a jump start to the, to the position. So we have three areas of responsibility. One is minority women, small veterans business programs. And then we have compliance uh, responsibilities for Title VI and Title VII. And third, we're responsible for ensuring best DNI practices within the workplace. Title VI of the uh, Civil Rights Act of 64, which includes access to public uh, facilities, Title VI, and Title VII is access to employment free of discrimination. And, and, and equity and those kinds of considerations and employment. So, so those are my three uh, buckets of, of work primarily. We do do some work with government and community affairs group in terms of working out in the communities, ensuring uh, the communities uh, realize the kinds of programs we run in the agency by way of biz, uh, small business and minority women-owned business activities. We inform them about our job opportunities. Uh, we add, we're adjuncts to HR in that regard. And then we do a little bit of labor force development work for the trades. Uh, we support pre-apprenticeship programs for trade jobs uh, to ensure the diversity within our workplace, but also within the unions that build our projects, our capital projects. So so those are the three major and minor function regarding the workforce development piece. So you've got four years under your belt now in this position. And, and as you said earlier, you've been focused on diversity and inclusion for a long time. Certainly over the past year, we've seen companies and governments, large and small, add a chief diversity officer to their staff. So what do you see as the future for this position, sort of yours and the growing number of them kind of across the country? Well, the public, the private sector, um, their DNI functions are somewhat mature. I mean, McKinsey has done a lot of studies on them and Deloitte, to name a couple, um, and showing that more diverse companies are more profitable and more creative and you know, a lot of innovation, et cetera. They always come up high in terms of employee of choice surveys. Um, not so much study yet in the public sector, which is why I'm so interested in having a panel at this year's social equity conference uh, at, at Napa, try to stimulate the academics' interest in looking at our functions in the public sector and noting their impact on social equity. So, so we're looking forward to uh, hopefully attract some academics uh, to uh, to begin to study more broadly these functions. I, I know from working with my counterparts in other agencies in the region 
that they are uh, the consciousness, if you will, of those agencies by way of ensuring that the public that we serve, which are diverse, which is a diverse public, are included in the, in the activities of business and employment opportunities that public sector agencies uh, provide. And then also ensure that the work, workforce within those agencies feel included and are in fact diverse. So, so it's, a, it's a significant function. Um, it's a, a staple, if you will, now in many of our New York uh, region agencies and in New Jersey. I think, uh, again, they're core to, to helping realize social equity. Well, I love what you say about sort of the, the mindset of organizations and especially governments changing to really address the issues around equity. I know in April of this year, Port Authority released a comprehensive report that outlined 25 actions that you are going to take as the agency continues to work towards its standards of excellence in racial and cultural diversity. What prompted that analysis and how can other organizations start to share the lessons that you've learned? Well, well, we have an incredible leadership. When we all witnessed as a country and in fact the world, the murder of George Floyd, it just begged for engagement with our employees. The best practices show that companies that ignore current events that have an impact on its employees do themselves a disservice. So we we were mindful of that research, of uh, leadership uh, was mindful of that leadership. And they came out very uh, soon after that that atrocity and said that we do not tolerate racism in our organization. And, and we we uh, stand we stand as 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 brothers and sisters, if you will, with African American community and others of, and, and, and as a society to to react to this atrocity appropriately. And and they said we will not be silent. Uh, those were those were definitive statements, if you will, that came out in a written broadcast from our leadership, uh, signed off on uh, in support by other senior staff. A couple of weeks later, we we said we're not only listening, we're going to take action, and we're forming a ten-person leadership steering committee to address race dynamics at the agency. And I was asked to chair that function with my uh, fellow chiefs. And 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 uh, key directors, line directors of the agency, which were which was a diverse team intentionally of our senior staff. So we had all rep, you know that uh, full representation on that ten person senior committee. And uh, so we looked, had a meeting. We looked at each other. How are we going to do this? Uh, luckily, I had recently hired a DNI expert. She uh, shared with us some best practices around listening. Also had a conversation with my daughter, who's in this space as a professor. And, and, and listening was core to, to beginning to understand what needs to be done. We had an incredible listening tour. We were trained first because listening is not easy. It's a trained skill, particularly for leaders who want to add, who wants to respond to every concerning complaint, right? We have to shut up, reflect, and then act. We, we all went through training and we had, um, we held dozens of uh, listening tours, uh, sessions throughout the agency, over 50 in total, partnership with some of our directors of the various departments. Over 2,400 employees participated. 
we received 600 comments that were analyzed to determine what focus should we have on this. Five focus areas emerged. And then we said, okay, how are we gonna go about this? So I go back to Lincoln, right? Uh, of the people, by the people, for the people. So we said, let the employees who shared with us their concerns be participants in developing the actions that we would pursue and implement as initiatives. So we, we, we garnered 125 plus volunteers uh, from across the agency. Again, intentional by way of diversity. Uh, we formed 25 action teams with, synced up with the five focus areas that we identified and from the, and, and the comments that we analyzed. And uh, that's how we, we went about our business. Uh, it, it was somewhat challenging because you had, you know, 25 teams within five action groups and how you're gonna harness all of this work within a period of time. Because one, one of the standards we have is speed of delivery. <laughs> um, uh, our executive director stays on us about speed of delivery and we managed them as project teams are managed. We had the steering committee uh, leaders broken up where they were overseeing the various focus areas. The central staff, um, which reported directly to me, kept them on point. We had a process that uh, we were faithful to. Our executive director involved himself into the process to ensure that the work was appropriate and uh, viable. I mean, you know, it's one thing to have ideas, and if they can't be implemented for various reasons like resources, et cetera, you know, why, why pursue them? We, we had outstanding thought processes, creative thinking, came up with a broad, impactful set of, of initiatives. Board was involved every month. I had to go to them with a progress report and then took in their comments for adjustments as appropriate. Several months later, uh, we had a 25-point plan, and we're uh, halfway through implementing all of those initiatives. The owners of the various programs are uh, held accountable for delivering within targeted time periods, and that's where we're at today. Wow. Halfway through implementation of 25 action plans is remarkable progress. Tell us a little bit about the focus areas, maybe, and then how you're making such quick progress on the implementation? Well, the five focus areas plus a six, which is policy, I'll get to that, is evolving the Port Authority culture, manager employee development with a focus on inclusive leadership and respectful behavior, workplace behavior, transparency in our HR practices and functions, making sure they're modern, up-to-date, and transparent in terms of how decisions are made within HR functions that we operate, the recruitment and promotion and performance appraisal processes, et cetera, uh, diversity and enhancement to best practices within our uh, police department, making sure we're benchmarked against the best practices in the region within uh, the various jurisdictions, police jurisdictions. And then how are we behaving as a neighbor? We, our facilities are in neighborhoods that are diverse. Are we inclusive? Are we thoughtful about our engagements? Are we participating appropriately with the community when we want to do major capital initiatives? What kind of programming do we do by way of job opportunities, et cetera? Because we not only do hiring for ourselves, our tenants hire, our airport's tenants, 
tenants. And one of the things we asked them to do is hire locally as well as a tenant within our facilities. Uh, and then all activities, all, all focus areas that required policy, let's put those in place or update our current policies. So that was that that's where we at we're at uh, in terms of the the, the the scope. And then again, each focus area has uh, several initiatives totaling 25. I'm really struck by the fact that the first focus area is on changing the organization's culture. And that's notoriously difficult to do in the short run. What lessons are you learning in that process as you work through it? Well, it's early on, but a couple of things are aiding us. We have what we call employee business resource groups. We have nine of them. And they've been a partner in this all along. And they cover all kinds of diverse groupings, African-American, Hispanic, Asian, LGBTQ community. Um, we have uh, parents group, veterans, et cetera. So we have run a full spec of those with varied abilities, uh, the abilities network who made up of those with disabilities and, and they work very closely with us as well. So all, all of those groups are part of this, this change effort. They, they run themselves cultural events. Um, they run historical presentations. That's now linked to the initiatives that have come out of this initiative. So the first thing, the po- bottom line is, let's get to know each other. Once we have a, an understanding of our culture and histories, we find that we have more things in common than we have differences. So that, that's sort of a basic position that we take. The other thing is there's do's and don'ts. And we, we're, we're honest and clear about those things that are not appropriate. So that's where policy comes in. We were uh, not bashful about ensuring that everybody who comes into the organization takes an unconscious bias course almost immediately. And then later on, while they're here, an in-class or in-person training, we had a mandatory anti-racism program put in place due to this initiative. So it's through all those kinds of initiatives. It's a long run. You're right. Change is not immediate. We're sober about that. And we, gotta, we have to stick with it. But I think with the, with the policies, with the programming, with the do's and don'ts. We do these things to ensure that people are knowledgeable of each other, knowledgeable of themselves, because it all starts with a self-awareness. So when we couple these, these educational activities, we couple it with policy, couple it with uh, accountability, uh, recognizing people are clear about do's and don'ts. We think we have a shot at realizing change on the other side of the effort. So. Uh, Looking forward to uh, looking forward to seeing progress in that area. Well, you've got an ambitious agenda as you move forward, and we talked about culture. What what are the biggest challenges you see to to really getting to the vision that you have for the Port Authority and its diversity and inclusion? What are the biggest challenges, and where do you see progress? Well, you know, you know, it's, it's sustaining the effort. Uh, we know behaviorists know that you know it takes five years of focused, rigorous, persistent attention to these matters. So sustaining that, but we have a good shot because of 
the employees' involvement. They expect it now. If we have a change in leadership, uh, because we went public with this, because it was at a public board presentation, because uh, it's the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do, we are better as an agency for it. We want to be a uh, employee of choice. We know that this, this kind, this this kind of work and activity and and and, and reality manifested in the workplace helps us keep and attract talent. That's what the studies tell us. Because this newer generation that's coming in the workforce is not going to stay at a place that doesn't practice what they preach. Uh, I, I think we have a good shot at at realizing uh, the kinds of changes that that we that we seek, uh, and that is again one that respects everyone, gives them an opportunity to to demonstrate their talent, for them to feel uh, good about their contributions to public service after they spent time with us. Well, you're really setting an amazing precedent for the way that that you've approached this study, the way that, as you say, you've made it public so that there's accountability and public expectation. And we'll look forward to watching the progress because you really are leading the way for, for others to follow. You mentioned earlier that you're sponsoring a panel uh, at this week's Academy-sponsored Social Equity Leadership Conference. For our listeners, we'll put the registration uh, link in the notes if you're interested in following up with that. Michael, I wanted to know why you think this this conference is an important venue for your work and your message. When you look at the 20 years of your your leadership regarding social equity and the work you did in terms of South Africa and and this focus on this uh, within the country, the kind of symposiums you've had over the years, it's the right place to be. It's a two-way street. Um, I've been to some of these uh, conferences. So we learn as a participant, and hopefully we we provide some some insights and in, in, uh, knowledge to others who come. I think your reputation uh, in this space is why we want to be here. The fact that you have academics who are interested in this and may pick up the uh, the study of these functions the chief diversity officer in, in uh, the public sector, the, the, the fact that this conference could attract other DNI offices who can learn from the academics, it all makes sense. So at the end of the day, we see it as a colla- an opportunity for collaboration with your seasoned and, and uh, notable practitioners and uh, academics. Michael, I know people are already looking forward to hearing more details about what you shared with us today and looking forward to being part of that conversation at the conference. Thank you so much for taking on such important work for leading such a large organization to make diversity and inclusion just part of its natural operations. And thanks for spending time with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity and looking forward to seeing you at the conference. We'll see you there. For our listeners, check back every Monday for a new podcast from the Academy. We'll be talking to Academy fellows each week about the challenges facing public administrators at every level of government as we try to make government work and work for all. Thanks for listening.